0: Hey, this is Todd and Julie Mullen, senior pastors here at Christ Fellowship Church in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you. We love Christ Fellowship. Had a long time friendship with Pastor Julie and Todd, and. We've grown to love your staff team all across the campuses. And I hope you guys know how blessed you are to have the kind of leaders that you have and that you pray for them. Um, And I'm honored to get to share with you this second message in this series called Formed. And I wanna begin my message with a question. And the question is, how long does it take to become a Christian? The answer is a moment and a lifetime. When you get saved and you step over the line of faith and you sign up to be a follower of Jesus, in that moment... Everything changes. In fact, the Bible says that in that moment, you are redeemed and you are forgiven and you are justified and you are made right with God and the chains of sin have been broken in your life and you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the Bible says that that moment is called being born again. And it's an amazing moment. But let me tell you what doesn't happen in that moment you aren't instantly mature. You come into the faith as an infant, and it will take your entire lifetime to grow and mature and to become more and more like Jesus. A week ago, my wife Connie and I celebrated anniversary number 45. Now... I know that you're looking at me and saying, wow, you're way too young to have been married that long. But when you get married at nine, the years really do pile on. But it was on that date in a church somewhat like this on a platform in front of a pastor and family and friends that I said those life-changing words. Let's try this for a year and see how it works out. No, that's not what I said. I said, I do, I'm all in. I'm committed, and in that moment, I became married. At the ripe age of 19, I had no idea what I was signing up for when I got married, but I want to tell you, it changed everything. In fact, I got transferred from the kingdom of singleness into the kingdom of marriedness. But I want you to know, I have spent a lifetime of years learning how to grow up, how to mature, how to get along, and how to have a life-giving relationship in our marriage. So here's the truth. You're always in a state of being formed. You're always in a state of being shaped and molded. You are always in a state of becoming. You're not like concrete. You know, when you pour concrete, it's wet and it's loose and you can move it around and shape it and put it in whatever form you want, but then after a few hours, it sets up. And it becomes hard and you can't change it and you can't move it. You're not like that. Every day you are being shaped and formed and molded. But the question is formed into what? Because there are a hundred different voices and a thousand advertisements and a gazillion social media messages that are constantly trying to shape you by telling you what you should buy and how you should live, and what you should think. And the world is constantly trying to misinform you into buying into a set of values and beliefs that oftentimes are contrary to God's word and God's heart. But the Apostle Paul also uses this word form in 2 Corinthians three, when he's talking about our relationship with God, and he says, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. That word transformed is a word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. So when you think about the the process that a caterpillar goes through to completely change its essence and its form into a butterfly, that's a complete metamorphosis. And God is in the work of transforming you and I. Yes, there's a moment, but then there's a process. Ruth Haley Barton describes spiritual transformation in this way. It's a process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God, for the abundance of our lives, and for the sake of others. I think that's a great definition. She first says that being formed in the image of Christ is a lifetime, lifelong process. Ultimately, it's for God's glory but we benefit, it's for the abundance of our lives. When I submit to God and spend time with Him and I am changed and shaped into His image, I am a better person. I love my life better. My life is richer. But he, she says, finally, it's also for the sake of others that when you are transformed by Christ, you become more unselfish. You, you're more generous toward other people. You treat them differently. You speak to people differently. You do your relationships differently because when you are transformed by Christ you actually begin to act like Jesus does and I know some of you are saying man I'd love for that to be true for me Um, I wish that was my story but the truth is my love for Jesus kind of sputters and it seems up and down and sometimes I feel connected and sometimes I feel disconnected and sometimes I just get busy with my life and I just sort of push my relationship with God to the back burner. And I just wanna say to you, I get it. I've walked with Jesus for more than 50 years, a half a century now. It feels a little bit surreal to say that, but if I'm honest, I would tell you, my relationship with God is also up and down, connected, disconnected, stuck sometimes, vibrant at other times. It's again, just sort of like marriage. That even though we've been married 45 years, there are still challenges to keeping our relationship close and connected and intimate. So if you're feeling stuck and in a bit of a spiritual rut, you're not alone. We've all been there. We're all there at times. But what I don't want you to feel as you hear this message is some kind of extra burden or shame or guilt or obligation or that you walk away going, Man, there's just another thing I'm not doing very well. What I prayed for is I prayed for this week is that what you would hear almost from Jesus' lips himself is that you would hear an invitation, an invitation to a way of life with him, not just doing life for God, but actually doing life with God. And so here's the question I want us to grapple with. What does that look like? How Do you spend time hanging out with Jesus in a way that is life-giving and transforming? How do you have a lifelong loving relationship with someone that you can't see and don't have audible conversations with? Now, I wanna give you one little disclaimer. There is not in this message a one-size-fits-all kind of strategy because all of us are different. You have different wirings, different backgrounds, different experiences. And just like in any relationship, we don't all do relationships the same. And so you have to figure out how to do your relationship with God in a way that is unique to you and your wiring. But what is true is that there are some basic principles and practices that Christians have used for 2,000 years to have a deep and life-transforming walk with Jesus. And we're gonna talk about some of those. But what you have to figure out is what does that pattern look like for you with your unique wiring, with your unique personality? Every great relationship is customized to fit the personalities of those in the relationship. But I wanna give you a key principle that's true for everybody. It's universal. Doesn't matter what your wiring is, where you're from, what your experiences have been. Here's the principle. You become like who you hang out with. Familiarity breeds similarity. Have you ever laughed? You've seen some couples that the longer that they're married, the more they start to look alike. You've seen those people, right? Actually, there's some data on this one. So a guy by the name of Robert Zajonk did a study about this and he showed people pictures of pairs of people. And surprisingly often, people were able to pick out spouses in those pictures. Because what's true is that people's faces did grow more similar over time. And to become like Jesus, you have to learn how to hang out with Jesus. There's a classic story in the Bible about someone who had learned the art of hanging out with Jesus. It's a familiar story about two sisters named Mary and Martha. So let me read it to you. It's a brief encounter in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and so she came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Please tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus answers. You're worried, so upset about so many things, but few things are needed. In fact, there's just one thing that's most important. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken from her. I want you in your mind's eye to try to imagine that day. Put yourself in Martha's sandals on that day. Here is Jesus, he's been crisscrossing Palestine and on this particular day around lunchtime, he finds himself in the little village of Bethany a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem and you know, unannounced, he doesn't send a text ahead of time, he doesn't send an email letting her know that she's coming, he knocks on the door and he shows up for lunch. Now I don't know about you, but as I've thought about this, put myself in Martha's shoes, that would be a little bit unnerving for me how would you like God to show up at your door unannounced for lunch? Not only does Jesus show up at her door, but he's got 12 grimy, dusty, hairy Galilean men with him. Now, Martha is not unnerved at all. Like she's the consummate hostess. Give her a few minutes and she'll have a great lunch whipped up. And so she begins to scurry around, putting everything together, preparing this amazing lunch for everyone. And she looks up And Mary is nowhere to be found. And so she goes and peeks over into the living room and Jesus is teaching and speaking as he often did and sitting there with all the boys is Mary. And it ticks Martha off. She has no tolerance for slackers. I like Martha. (laughs) And so finally the irritation just boils to the surface and she says to Jesus finally, hey, This isn't right, I'm doing everything all by myself. How about you tell my sister to get up and help me now? This is an awkward moment socially, right? I mean, she totally throws her sister under the bus in front of Jesus and all the disciples. And I love Jesus's response, it's so classic. He just turns to her and says, Martha, you're so uptight. Like you're so worried about the placemats getting out and the hummus being prepared. Like it's okay. And Martha, there's really just one thing that matters. And by the way, Martha, Mary has chosen what is better. So here's my question: Could it be that in our type A-driven, frantic, overachieving lifestyles that we have missed this important spiritual principle? And so I want to ask you, do you believe, I mean, do you really believe that sitting in the presence of God is the better thing? I love the fact that Mary chose to sit in spite of the fact that there was still a lot to be done. And there were always going to be meals to repair and rooms to clean, but she had this moment and an opportunity to sit and listen to the Son of God, to Jesus Himself. And so I wanna make an observation because I've been around the church and Christians for a long time, and here's my observation. All serving and no sitting will make you cynical and sour. Let me say that again. All serving and no sitting will make you cynical and sour because when you're empty, and you don't have anything left, that is not a great place from which to serve. And unless you get really clear about what matters most, what is better, you will always be distracted by the seemingly urgent things in your life. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, hey, if I had Jesus sitting in the flesh in my living room, leading my small group, he would have my full attention. But it's a little tougher in 2023. I can't see him. He's not there physically. I don't have the audible conversation with him that the disciples could have had or that Mary had on that day. But there's an interesting verse where I think Jesus actually speaks to us and it's helpful for us today. John 16, Jesus is about to go back to heaven and he is letting them know that he's not gonna be with them much longer. And in John 16, he says, it is actually best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, if I had been sitting there on that day, you know what I would have thought? Really? Are you kidding me right now? You can't be serious. How could it be better that you would go away? That seems crazy. How could anything be better than having Jesus in the flesh right there with you? But you need to understand that Jesus was limited to being in one place at one time. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he could be with all of us all at once. And when when Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit falls, from that time on, the Holy Spirit will indwell every single believer. So what I think Jesus would say to us is, hey, the Holy Spirit inside of you is actually even better than if Jesus was right beside you. And that's important for us to remember. So I want to get practical for a few moments and talk about, okay, so what does this look like? And if you're going to have a vibrant, thriving, life-giving relationship with Jesus, there are two words that you're going to have to know. So I want to say it like this. The engine of spiritual growth runs on two rails, heart and habit. Spiritual practices, reading your Bible, praying, coming to church, without an engaged heart leads to hypocrisy and legalism. Just think Pharisees. Jesus spoke harsh words to the Pharisees because they checked all the boxes of religious activity, but he would say their hearts were far from God. But for some of us, our problem is the opposite, and we need to flip the script because all heart without habit leads to inconsistent growth and dependence on emotional experiences. So let's talk for a couple of moments about heart and habit. In A.W. Tozier's classic book, The Pursuit of God, he says, come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. He says, you look at the great Christians of ages past and they have a passion and a drive and a desire to know God and you can feel the heat in Paul's words in Philippians 3 when he says, everything else is worthless compared to the infinite knowledge and value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, he says, I've discarded everything, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul had this deep passion and desire to know Christ. And again, some of you might be sitting here today and what you're thinking is, I, I, I wish that was true, but Lance, the truth is my heart has kind of drifted. I've known Christ for several years and the desire to know God isn't what it was in those early days. And maybe today, if you're honest, you would just say, I, I want to want to. And maybe for you, the application of today is just for you to cry out to God and say, God, would you restore that desire and heart for you. I want to return to my first love. A couple of centuries ago, when Jonathan Edwards was talking about a relationship with God, he said, there needs to be both light and heat. And that's a really important statement. Because when I go to the word, especially when I was a younger Christian, I would always go to the word for the light of God's truth. I wanted to become more knowledgeable about the things of scripture. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what Jonathan Edwards was saying is part of your time with God is not just meant to make you a smarter Christian, but it's also meant to raise your affection so that you actually love Jesus more than you did when you were starting to meet with him. And so it's heart, it matters. But the second word is the word habit. Now, I know that's not a warm, fuzzy word for our generation, because we want everything instantly, right? Right? But to become like Jesus, it's going to require dedication and building some good habits. And all of us love wonderful experiences where we have those moments when our hearts are moved and where we feel close to God. But here's my concern. For some of us, our spiritual life is simply going from one sort of momentary high to the next moment. And we can begin to depend on those moments, even coming to a great worship service like this, that that's the place where we get our weekly dopamine hit. But that is not the same as a consistent, daily, deep, and maturing walk with Jesus. I was thinking about this, and I thought it would be like a man saying to his wife, babe, I love you, and every week I go to a building and We sing love songs for 30 minutes every week. And there's a guy every week and he gives inspirational talks for 30 minutes about great relationships and loving each other. And can I just tell you, that won't produce a mature marriage. It's not the same as doing the hard work every week to build connection, to build intimacy with your spouse. And again, I wanna say this kindly but firmly. It is not in moments that maturity is produced. It is in the mundane. It is in the mundane of your daily habits and time with God where you stay connected to Jesus. I remember someone saying once, when you are born, you look like your parents, but when you die, you look like your habits. And that's true for us. Again, I've been thinking a lot about our marriage because of our recent anniversary, but I was thinking about In the early days, you kinda depend on youthful exuberance and romance and passion, but everybody in the room who's been married more than a day understands it takes more than that, right? At some point, it becomes about perseverance and discipline, and intentionality, and learning how to resolve conflict, and forgive, and spend quality time together, and invest in your relationship, and get up every day, and whether you feel like it or not, to choose to love your spouse. And then, and only then, do you get to that place of relaxed intimacy with your spouse. And the same is true with God. Paul's words to us are such a challenge in 1 Timothy 4 when he said, train yourself to be godly. He said, physical training has some value, but godliness has value for everything. And the word training is the word that we get our English word gymnasium from. Paul said, if you're gonna train yourself to be godly, you're gonna have to get in the spiritual gym and lift some spiritual weights and do some reps and exercise your heart so that you are stronger and more mature in your walk with God. It makes me think of a, a formula in Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect. And here's his formula. Small choices plus consistency plus time equals radical difference. And when you're trying to build a relationship, Consistency trumps intensity all day long. The small incremental choices of a consistent daily time with God, over weeks, over months, over years, eventually equals a radically different you. So I I wanna take my last few minutes and sort of imagine that you and I were sitting down over a cup of coffee and we were talking about our relationships with God, and you were to say, Lance, what are some tips, some hints you would give me like to take my walk with God and my time with God to to a new place? So I want to give you four sort of practical suggestions. Number one is to practice what I would call the law of the first. This principle of the first can be seen throughout Scripture that God often calls us, to show up and give our first and our best. In Proverbs 10, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. One day after an incredibly busy day of ministry in Mark chapter one, and we get to verse 35, we read these words. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left. You think, well, He's the son of God. He should get up before everybody else. He's got a lot to do. He's only got three years of public ministry. But if you read the next words, it says he left to go to a solitary place where he prayed. And if Jesus needed that dedicated time with God, if he took the first part of his day to spend time with God, how much more important is that for us? Now, again, I don't want you to hear this legalistically. Not all of you are wired to be morning people. I'm married to a person like that. And so you may find a different time of the day, but what I do think is important is that for most of us, we would take our walk with God to a different level. We'd go, okay, Lord, the first part, the best part of my day, I'm gonna dedicate to you and I'm gonna make that a priority to spending time with you. The second thing I might tell you if we were sitting down with a cup of coffee is just slow down and Relax. Like one of the things that keeps our walk with God shallow and fragmented is that we're always in a hurry. And even our time with God is hurried. And all my life, this has str- been a struggle for me. It just I'm a type A, I'm driven, I like to get a lot of stuff done, and I, I'm a doer, and so slowing down is tough, but you know this, in any relationship, you can't do quality time in a hurry. You can't do quality time when you're preoccupied. And I have a friend of mine that, um, he got diagnosed with cancer. He was an executive pastor at a large church in Canada. And So while he was away um, getting treatment, I actually flew up and spent some time there for a few weeks trying to fill in for him. And when he came back on his first day back, he and I had lunch together. And so I said to him, I was anxious to ask him, I go, okay, you've been out three months, lots of time to think, pray, be with God. Over the last three months, what has God shown you? And without any hesitation, he simply uttered these words, hurry destroys relationships. And it's so true. And it's true of your walk with God. So slow down. Let me say this to you. To walk with God, you've got to go at walking speed and not run ahead. So my challenge is create unhurried space in your life to be with God unhurried, that's about the disposition of your heart, and then carve out space, make it a priority. There's an interesting study that came out of the University of Virginia. So they took all the participants and as the first part of the study, they exposed them to an electric shock. Now it didn't permanently damage them, but the shock was enough of a jolt that people said it's painful and please don't do that again. So then they put people in a room, a blank room, nothing on the walls, no paintings, no reading literature, no iPads or phones. The only thing in the room was a table, a chair, and on the middle of the table was that shock button to receive that electrical jolt. Now, people had just been hurt by it and in pain by it. Guess what? A lot of people still chose to push the button rather than to sit there by themselves, It won't surprise you, one-fourth of all the women push the button. I'm not gonna tell you how many men. Two-thirds of the men push the button. In fact, one guy in 15 minutes pushed the shock button 190 times. Now, the moral of that story is not that women are smarter than men. But I want my time with God not to be sort of spiritual fast food that is quickly consumed, but I want to view my time with God as unhurried and relaxed as an appointment with a friend that I love to be with. And so I've been putting this principle into practice now for many years, and that is when I read the Bible to read for depth, not breadth. It's not about how many verses or chapters I can get through. How many of you in the room have ever tried one of those read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year programs? Yeah, a good number of us. i got to be honest, I hate those. You know why? Because about the third week in January, I get up and realize I'm 36 chapters behind. (laughs) And so now I'm reading, you know, 36 chapters of Deuteronomy or something, not because I want to spend time with Jesus, but just because I don't want to be a loser. And so it's really not about how much of the Bible you get through, but how much of the Bible gets through you. And to let your soul soak and marinate in the Word of God. The third thing I would tell you is to read scripture relationally. These days, when I pick up the Bible, I'm trying not to go to the Bible so much out of a desire for information, or even out of a sense of obligation, but rather let it be out of a drive for a relationship with Jesus. That this book is not like any other book. It's not just words on a page, but behind this book is a, is a friend and a father. And when I read scripture, he is present. So I brought a little show and tell. So again, we just I shared with you, we had our anniversary. And now I'm about to blow some of your minds in this room who are younger. There was a day when we didn't have cell phones. And when my wife and I met, we lived 600 miles apart and we were poor college students. By the way, there was also no such thing as unlimited minutes. So you paid for every minute you talked. And so she would call me once a week for 30 minutes. I would call her once a week for 30 minutes. We tried to commit to get together about once a month in person. But every day for a year, we wrote each other letters. And this is a box of 45 year old letters. By the way, do you know what postage was? 13 cents. And I gotta tell you, when I would pull out one of those letters, and I was in McDonald Hall, and I would go down to the mailbox every day, and I would pull out this card from Connie, and I would read that. I wanna tell you, I read it relationally. Like I didn't do a word study on the sentences. I didn't look at the Greek or Hebrew behind the words that she used. I didn't do a historical study on the city where she was living. No, I I mean, I read that letter relationally because I knew that behind this letter was someone who I had relationship with who loved me and I wanted to hear what she had to say to me. Do you realize that the Bible is the only book where the author is actually present every time you read it? In fact, think about this. Jesus is no less present with you when you have your time with God than he was when he sat physically that day with Mary and the disciples. So read scripture relationally. And then one final thought I would probably give you if we set out for coffee is, listen, you have gotta minimize distractions. In fact, Luke 10 says that Martha was distracted by everything that had to be done. And we live in a day of continuous partial attention. I read recently that the average American attention span in the last 15 years has gone down from 12 seconds to eight seconds. That's really depressing for a preacher. In fact, I've lost several of you several times already (laughs) in the last 30 minutes, right? We have an attraction to distraction. And so for some of us, if you're going to go deep in your walk with God, you're gonna have to put your phone in a different room. You're gonna have to decide not to engage your emails and text and look look at your work account, but you're actually gonna give the best and the most present attention that you have to being with Jesus. There's a woman by the name of Simone Bay. She was well known in the country of France. As a woman of prayer, she made such an impact on the country that they commissioned a postage stamp in her honor. And on the stamp, they put her most famous saying, and here it is. Attention is the only faculty of the soul that gives you access to God. There is a direct correlation between your ability to pay attention and the depth of your walk with God. But here's my problem. Like Mary, sometimes I can sit down physically but my mind is all over the place. I'm distracted, fragmented, already ahead into my day and all the stuff that I've gotta do, and I can sit there with my Bible open and in the presence of Jesus and be a million miles away. Jesus said of Mary that day that she chose the better thing. So what I wanna be clear about is this, The level of intimacy that I have with Jesus is a choice. So I want you to think ahead to three years from today. And you walked out of here today and you've made it your priority to consistently hang out with Jesus. Doesn't mean that your relationship has been perfect or you've always felt close, but you've taken the the challenge to spend daily time with him. And over three years, your friendship with him is closer. and over three years, um, you've learned how to slow down and actually just be present and be still with him. And you sense that you're not where you wanna be, but you're not who you were three years ago and you're growing and the fruit of the spirit is more evident in your life today. I have this document that I track all my projects and stuff I've got going. And at the top of the document, There are these words, always make choices that your future self will thank you for. If you will choose to consistently hanging out with Jesus, your future self will rise up and call you blessed. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you make yourself available to spend time with us, that you desire relationship with us. And Lord, we want to know you and we want to have a deeper walk with you. And so Lord, give us the courage to begin this week to consistently, little by little, to spend time with you in such a way that our lives are transformed and we bring you glory and our lives get better and we're a blessing to the other people around us. May that be true for every one of us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word podcast to the number 441 Four for one and select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to those of you who generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's because of you that everything that we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.